Welcome to the Bad for Business podcast, brought to you by the Founders Fund. The Bad for Business podcast uncovers the real unfiltered stories behind the success of unconventional, disruptive, and downright bad for business entrepreneurs. I'm your host and badass entrepreneur in charge, Vivian Kay. If you're interested in joining a community of bad for business women identifying founders who also get access to funding, mentorship, and education for your business, visit us at foundersfund.ca to become a member. Christy Sumer started Encircled with a dream. She wanted to help women travel lighter. Frustrated by the lack of versatile clothing that blended style with function, she started to design it herself. She believed strongly that after years of working in the retail industry, that she wanted Encircled to be ethically made, sustainable, and sweatshop free. Christy and I chatted about how she had to go through 15 manufacturers before finding the one that would create her first prototype and how having persistence, mission, and a vision can make anything possible. Take a listen. Hello, Christy. How are you? I'm so great, Vivian. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, you are absolutely welcome, girl. You're absolutely welcome. So, you know, before we get into the more frivolous questions, I'm going to ask you a really serious question because, uh, you know, your brand encircles, you make um, ethically made and sustainable sweat-free clothing. And I saw on Instagram that you just dropped a line of leggings. And the question that I, at the burning question that I have, and I'm sure many of our listeners are really wanting to know, will these leggings cover my FUPA? (laughs) (laughs) I saw your comment today and I actually, I had to, embarrassingly, I had to Google that. (laughs) Full disclosure, I had to. Um, But the great thing about leggings in general Mm -hmm. and our leggings specifically is they're super comfortable. They're Mm -hmm. high rise. They're Mm -hmm. thick high quality fabric. So they're Mm -hmm. good at smoothing out anything Mm -hmm. and hiding all the stuff, you know? All right. Um, So I think you'd be good. You'll be good. (laughs) I'll send you a pair so you can try them out. You let me know. Perfect. And for those of you who don't know what a FUPA is, it is a fat upper mm, abdomen area. P stands for something else, but I'm sure you'll figure it out. I know this is uh, you know, we have some adult conversations on here, but I don't, I don't make anyone comfortable by telling you what the P is, but I'm sure you'll figure it out. Meow. Okay. So Christy, <laughs> take us back to when you were a kid. What was life like? What was your family structure? Where did you grow up? Your cultural upbringing? Tell me all about that. Yeah, great question. So I'm actually born and raised in Toronto. Um, both of my parents are immigrants to Canada. So they were both born in a little country Uh, near Russia called Estonia. Um, And my parents are, you know, getting up there in age. So they were born during like the tail end of World War II. Um, And at the time, um, both Russian and German forces were invading the country of Estonia and trying to take it over. Um, So my parents actually fled the country. And they have this crazy story about fleeing in like basically rowboats across the Baltic Sea and became refugees in Sweden. 
And then, you know, we're there living in these like rooming houses and stuff like that. And my mom always talks about the story about eating all those potatoes for every single meal. And then eventually um, they were able to get immigration approval to come to Canada. And at the time, they just kind of had to randomly lottery pick where they would end up. And they ended up coming to Toronto. So both my parents came into Toronto, not speaking any English, and also lived in rooming houses both separately throughout their whole childhood. And they like to talk about how they were self-parented. So they became fairly independent and they worked their way up and were really successful in what they did. Um, but they always instilled in me those values of hard work, as well as being, you know, really mindful about your consumption and what you're spending. Um, and they never let me forget that they were once really, really poor. So I was very lucky to grow up in a really nice area of Toronto, but we always had the oldest car on the street. We right. always, my mom would go garbage picking out of our neighbor's garbages to thrift stuff. She would sew our own clothes, even though it was completely unnecessary. It was just all these habits that she had formed growing up. Um, that were really about, um, you know, saving money and investing in what matters most. So I had a great upbringing. I was an athlete. Uh, I was, you know, mostly focused as a competitive ice hockey player and soccer player and tennis player. Um, so I was really focused on that. And that really helped me stay on the path because some of my family life was a little bit tumultuous for sure. Right. But having that support of like teamwork and coaches and stuff like that really helped me get focused and stay in school and get through it all. Those are interesting habits that um, your parents have. And it's interesting because it gets passed down. Do you find yourself doing some quote unquote crazy things that you're, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just like my mother. Do you find yourself doing that? Absolutely. We have a minority investor in our brand and he calls me the thrift master. Like I am just <laughs> so thrifty when it comes to money mindset is a huge challenge for me because yeah. I was made to always feel even it though we had enough that we would never have enough yeah. um, and that it could go away at any moment. Yeah. Um, so I kind of lived with that constant insecurity in a weird way, even though I think we had enough, but it was my parents' money mindset that was like transitioning off to me. Right. So for sure that has played into my business and held me back. I think sometimes from making some big decisions and um, hopefully not throttled our growth too much, but for sure it's had to, it makes me really nervous to spend large sums of money and to make, those investments. I, I don't know if that's a normal entrepreneurship thing or just something that I struggle with specifically, but you it know, is a challenge. I, I got to say, as an immigrant, I, I feel the same way. I get really nervous about spending big sums of money. And same thing, I, I got to work on my money mindset because my parents were, um, you know, I, they didn't have the same upbringing, but the same idea where my, you know, my parents lived in a, a village in, uh, in Togo, which is a country that's just uh, east of Ghana but I was born in Ghana. So they, they sort of grew us up or brought us up with this, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and their money didn't grow on trees. And, and it sort of flowed into my adulthood. And, um, you know, I didn't learn how to manage money properly because I didn't know anything about money because money wasn't for kids. It was for adults. And so anyway, that's a whole other episode we could, we could totally get into. So, okay. So you, you were an athlete in school. So tell me about your, your first job. Like what was the most important thing that you learned there? I love this question. Nobody ever asked me anything like this, but it actually was very educational. So my first job was at a startup uh, at the time. They didn't call them startups. Right. It was a very small fine food grocery store chain that was coming in basically to compete 
um, in the grocery market and started by three founders, co-founders. And um, this was in the 90s, late 90s, I guess. And they were coming to a hyper-competitive industry and starting from scratch. They wanted to do all like homemade. They had a bakery in the basement and a kitchen in the basement. So they wanted to make everything super healthy, organic, natural. And it was like by far my favorite job because the people who worked there were amazing. It was an incredibly diverse group of people who worked there. Um, and I just had so much fun. But what it taught me, because interestingly, they actually ended up going bankrupt, not when I was there, but probably about five years later. But when I was there, I started to notice, um, you know, wastage or maybe this process wasn't working right or something was wrong with this. And that actually started my interest in consulting because I would do these mini projects for them, largely unasked, where I would be like, hey, I was in the deli and I saw that you throw at this and you throw at that. Why don't you extend this? You can make money this. And like, I'm 16 years old and I'm just like, somehow that is interesting to me, which is very bizarre, but I was very intrigued by the idea of process improvement and how to make a business better and how they could help like bring in more customers and all that kind of stuff. So it actually truly was a trigger to my love of business in general. I think it actually makes sense, especially with your upbringing. You know, you were learned to you learned not to waste, right? To only consume what you um, what you could eat, or you know, whatever the case may be, to reuse things. So it made sense when you saw all the stuff being wasted in the basement of a bakery. Um, yeah, the, your brain's gonna start, you know, click, 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 and oh wait, that doesn't make sense. And you know, and of course, if you got that entrepreneurial mindset, that's where that's where it started. Okay, so. Okay, so you thought you were a boss at 16 and wanted to be a consultant. So what did you actually grow up wanting to be? Yeah, I think actually I fell in love with business in high school. I had an economics teacher. And so I think originally I thought maybe I might go into sciences or something. I thought that was like a really safe route. My dad was a lawyer. So I always thought, oh, I could be a lawyer for sure. Um, And then as soon as I took my first biology class, I was like, hell to the no, am I being a doctor, (laughs) like dissecting a dead pig? I was a vegetarian. I was like, this is disgusting. I cannot take this. The smell, I can still smell it today of the formaldehyde. Um, I was out. (laughs) I was out. And then I had this class in economics, I think it was in grade 10 or 11. And just everything just clicked with me. The idea of business and markets and functioning. And it was like, it lit up the inner geek in me, I think. And I'm not necessarily strong at math. I'm actually quite bad at math and science in general. Those are definitely not my strong suits, but economics and business just really made sense to me. And so that teacher just sparked that joy for me. And I immediately was like, I need to be doing something in business. And what is business? I don't even know at that stage, I'm too young, but I'm gonna be, so I went into a business program actually at Western um, and ended up taking that to kind of further refine what I might be interested in. Okay, well, did you have like, was there anyone like outside of your economics teacher, which is a fantastic person to have in your corner? Was there anyone in your life or at that time that thought, no, honey, like you should be in the kitchen or, um, you know, you should learn how to be a teacher, like anything, like anyone try to sow some seeds of doubt into your, into your mind? Yeah, I mean, if I'm truly honest, my my father was not a big fan of, he comes from a very traditional background and mm-hmm. what I would call a very backwards background mm-hmm. of believing that women shouldn't really be in business and they should be, you know, stay-at-home moms and stuff like that. Um, so that was a very tough battle for me. I think he was interested in investing and he helped me with my education and he helped me pay for it. But there was like a piece of him, I think, that was feeling like it wasn't, 
exactly what he wanted for me. You know, I think deep down, he really wanted me to get married, um, probably start a family. Um, and I just kind of went the other way. Um, and that kind of led into my entrepreneurship, which we can talk about later when I left corporate, because that was probably the world's greatest disappointment to him. Um, so I think he was not always in my corner. Unfortunately, we had a bit of a fractured relationship growing up and, and my family was a little challenging in terms of that respect. So I think that kind of made me think, you know, can I do it? But I was also very lucky through my athletics to have coaches who were just like always in my corner, um, trying to build me up and tell me that I was great and I could do great things. Um, so balancing that off with my family life, I think was really helpful. Wow. Well, you know, let's get into, let's get into your transition from corporate to, um, to entrepreneur life. So what was, what was the last job you had and how long ago was that? And then how did you, how did you even start Encircled? Yeah. So my last job, I'm actually coming up on my six year anniversary of leaving corporate. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so it's a big milestone. Um, so yeah, my last job was in management consulting. I worked for a company called ThoughtWorks. Um, they were, there are an IT strategy consultancy. They're actually very impact focused um, and very focused on social purpose. But before that I was with PwC, who's um, very focused on like accounting and strategy and stuff like that. Um, most of my last half of the career was in that management consulting sector, which was at the time my dream job. I wanted that job since I went to university, but I didn't realize the trade-offs that came with it. Um, number one, the travel. So you were traveling every single week. You're on a plane pretty much. So you kind of lose your life. You can't have any stability because you're never home. Um, and then also you don't really get a choice of what brands you work on. So when you go and work for a client, mm. you just get placed on that client. And sometimes that client, you know, you may not necessarily align with your values, but here right. you are helping them make more money or lower costs and doing stuff like that. So that misalignment was very awkward for me because I felt that more and more as I got senior and seeing the impact of the project I was working on, I was like, oh, I don't know if I feel good about this anymore. Um, and it's that tough dichotomy where you're like making lots of money, you're in your supposed dream job, you've worked really hard. I, at this time, I got my MBA and I was like, what do I do now? <laughs> like, where do I go from here? How do I realign? Right. Like I've, I've got so many quote unquote sunk costs that like it felt like um, there was no getting out of it, you know, in a, in a certain right. way. So right. Encircle just came up by accident. So I was super stressed out when I was at PwC and I'd taken a vacation. Last minute, my friend was like, come on this yoga retreat. It's leaving in two days. I was like, sure, I'll go. Let's go. Never been on a yoga retreat. Had no idea what that entails. But so I got out my big ass suitcase and I started like throwing all the stuff in there. I was like, yoga blocks, mats, you know, plain outfit, this outfit, blah, blah, blah. And then I was doing up my suitcase. <laughs> this is literally the night before the plane. I'm get, getting up at four in the morning. The zipper rips open and the whole suitcase explodes in my apartment and oh, no. it's broken. And I'm like, oh no, the only other bag I have is this teeny tiny carry-on from work. So now I'm going to just put everything in there. Like that's not going to fit. And I was pulling out all this stuff and I'm like, I had this circle scarf from American Apparel and you can allegedly wear it 30 ways. But so I was like, oh, this will be a miracle saver of my trip. And I started trying it on. It looked like a potato sack. The fabric was see-through. Um, it was not even hemmed around the edges and the diagrams are so confusing. I was like, you can barely even wear this as a scarf. So I was like, what if somebody did something better than this? So that became the spark that generated our first bulb. product idea at Encircle called the Chrysalis Cardi, which is like an eight in one piece that helps you travel stylishly, sustainably, um, and do more with less essentially. Oh, 
so was that your first SKU? Like that was your first, like that's the first thing you went to, to market with. So tell me about that. Like, how was that process? Um, did you learn, like, did you fail while trying to create this first product? Like, tell me about that. Yeah. So I don't have any fashion background. I can barely qualify as somebody who understands what fashion is, <laughs> maybe from a retail perspective, because that's my background, but not designing. So I had no idea what I was doing. I was literally Googling, buying books, reading about it, going to fabric stores on Queen Street West in Toronto, buying the wrong fabric and just playing around with it. Um, and I came up with like a prototype just through figuring it out, taping fabric to the floor. I bought a sewing machine off Craigslist for $40 and started playing around with it. Broke it the first time I used it because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I just played around with that concept of taking a circle scarf, adding some sort of attachment that could make the garment look what like what it was actually supposed to be. So as you were wearing it as a dress, it looked like a dress, not like a scarf tied into a dress. Um, and my first prototype had I'm like picturing it. Sorry, I'm just so crazy with this, yeah. this thing that was just see through, and you thought it was going to do all sorts of things, and and, and it didn't. Sorry, no, continue. It did not perform for sure. No, you're so right. And it's like I'm almost like a bit of, and I'm sure you can relate to this, but when I get on a creative kick, I'm like unstoppable. So I was like, I'm going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Like I was like a mad woman holds up in my little. 450 square foot condo trying to like drawing on the walls with like paper trying to like learn everything I could and my first prototype I think had like something like 20 snaps on it and my friend came over and we couldn't even figure out how to do any of the looks because it was so confusing and I was like oh no this is never going to work so I ended up reworking that prototype and came down to eight snaps and like, you know, eight plus looks, there's probably about 16 you can do with it realistically. Um, and then I was like, I got to find somebody to make this. I don't know how to do that either. So, you know, it was just a constant kind of like discovery and roadblocks, which I think is pretty common with entrepreneurs, especially when you're going to an industry, which you don't understand how it works. Yep. So there's a lot of failure in that for sure. So how did you, how did you work through those failures? So did you, did you feel like, like, did you know it was part of the process? Um, tell me about that. Tell me about your thought process with that. So I'm a perfectionist at heart. I think that's, you know, mm. also from my upbringing, like if you were perfect, then you weren't in trouble. Um, so I always work to be the best at everything, which is not a sustainable way to live because nobody's ever the best and it's never done. Um, you can never really feel good about it. So for me, this process was very enlightening around that perfectionism because I started to realize that I couldn't do this without making mistakes. I couldn't do this perfectly. I was going to have to kind of eat some humble pie as I went to mm -hmm. the manufacturers and said, I don't really know what I'm doing. I want to make this product. This is how I think it should work and try to use my best judgment to figure out if their solution or my solution, what was right. And I literally got laughed out of a lot of manufacturers who were like, this is the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. Why would you ever do this? Like, so I think I went through like probably about 10 or 15 manufacturers before I found one person who was like, you know what, this could be a kind of a decent idea. Let's give it a go. Um, so I think it was like a good uh, exercise in resilience for me and building up that muscle of knowing that like failure is okay. It's a learning experience because that's definitely not something I was taught as a kid for sure. So you said you went to 15 different manufacturers before you found one that said that, you know what, this, this could go. So tell me, was your, was your confidence shook after you went to like the seventh manufacturer and they were like, 
forget. No, this isn't going to work. Like, how did you feel at that seventh, that eighth, that ninth? Yeah, really, I really, I guess, um, like the winds out of your sails kind of thing. So I got in a list of, um, it was really important for me to make it in Toronto locally, um, because of the labor standards, you know, I was working full time, I knew I couldn't go to factories overseas and you know, make sure the standards were there. Um, I couldn't do site visits at a regularity that made me comfortable. So um, I went through this list provided by this incubator in Toronto. And the list originally had like, I think a hundred people on it. When I called, most of those places were out of business. So number one, they were all gone. And then the ones that were there were like, there's no way I'll work with this product or your minimums are too low, which is like a big thing in the fashion industry. You have those minimum and any manufacturing, as you know, like your minimum yeah. run size has to be a certain amount. Um, so yeah, it felt really depressing. And then also like, I think when I finally found a couple, I found two that were interested and one did a prototype. And then he was like convinced that it was like the way, this is the way you're gonna do this product. Bring it home. The first time mm-hmm. I try and put it on, it rips. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. So it, it definitely leaves you to question yourself. Like, is this even a good idea? Like, is this why nobody's done this before? <laughs> because it sucks. Like you definitely have to have a lot of introspection in those moments to understand and, and play off your own passion for it. And that's why I always tell entrepreneurs, like you have to be super passionate about what you do because yes. these roadblocks are just part of it to see if you're really serious, I think. Right. So it just occurred to me because you were talking about the circle scarf. And your company's name's encircled. So is that where it came from? I put, I just, I just literally put two together. <laughs> you are right. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. That's dope. That's Yeah, it was dope. one of my crazy drawings on big pieces of paper on the wall was like coming up with names and encircled just seemed right. Cause I was like, I'm in a circle, encircled. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. So tell me about that guy that, you know, there's always, there always seems to be that guy. There's always that guy in your life. That's like, no, no, no. I've been doing this for a long time. I know how this should go. And then you take whatever he said was supposed to be like the perfect prototype home and it rips. So how do you deal with those sorts of people in your life? Cause I'm sure after going to 15 manufacturers and finally finding one, and then, you know, you had actually a two and one of them told you that, no, this is the way it has to be. And, you know, of course it sucked. So how do you deal with those sorts of people in your, in your life? I mean, it's been a struggle my whole career um, <laughs> with dealing with people like that, you know, um, especially when I was in management consulting, because uh, I was quite young. So I go into, you know, C-level executive meetings and I get comments like, oh, I have a daughter your age and from executives and stuff like that when their daughter's like 18 and I was like 32 or something like that at that time. Yeah. So I'm kind of used to this like idiocy. I don't know how you put it. Like just this, like, I know be- better than you. Um, so it was a balancing act, I think, of me doing research and finding some professionals Um, outside of that manufacturer who could advise me and tell me, is this a good idea? Could this work? And what would be the best way of going about that? So I was very lucky to find a technical designer um, through just like a resume uh, referral from somebody else randomly who had a lot of experience. And she was like, yeah, this idea can totally work. You just need to find the right manufacturer. You need to keep going with it. So she was a big champion of the brand early on and helped me with quite a few of our first, I would say five products. Um, because design is very technical, even though it's a circle scarf with some snap sewed on it and it seems really basic. There's a lot of technicalities to it that I didn't even understand myself. So 
finding somebody who had that technical expertise who could like tell me and reassure that that was, I was doing the right thing. It was really, really important. So I ended up finding that manufacturer who, you know, his, his boss didn't believe in it, but he believed in it. He was like the business development guy. And he was like, you know, and he also said, you know, I have a daughter about your age. <laughs> I was like, here we go. Yeah. But he was like, you know, I well really like your mission. He's right. like, I really like what you're going for, your mission, your values. He's like, we'll cut the run size. We'll do the first run and see how it goes. Um, so that made a huge difference to um, just have, being able to get started. So just being, just persevering really. So, you know, just not listening to those people who tell you otherwise, if you really are passionate about your idea, you need to just do whatever it takes um, and not be afraid to take on advice from others that actually have, you know, <laughs> that actually know what they're talking about, like the like the designer you were talking about, as opposed to the, uh, you know, the manufacturer. So that leads me to this: what is what has been the worst piece of advice that you received, and also the best piece of advice you've ever received? Ooh, um, great question. So probably the worst piece of advice I ever received was from. Um, I tell this story sometimes I was out at a bar in Toronto and some guy tried to pick me up and he asked me, you know, what do you do for work? And, and I'm like, well, I'm a consultant and I'm also starting this business. And I was very excited about it at the time. I thought I'm going to, you know, start this business. It's all ethical and sustainable. And he's like, you know what? I work for this dragon, that dragon's den guy on his investment team. Um, I think this is a horrible idea. You should do this. You should take the manufacturing offshore, change to a cheaper material, and then go on the shopping network, basically. Or Thanks, ASM. Chad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, was, Chad. He was a Chad for yeah. sure. You know, he's probably 22, 23. Um, and I was like, what? No. Um, but he was like, you'll never be able to scale with that business. Um, so that was the worst advice because it's actually not completely not true. So um you showed best. him yeah <laughs> yeah chad <laughs> suck it chad <laughs> totally so probably the best advice i ever received was start slow so that idea that in a product-based business that you have to come out with like 18 SKUs or 400 SKUs to be successful is a complete myth you can start with just a few products. And I actually think it's better to start with just a few and validate your product market fit and then scale up from there. The MVP, um, the MVP, yeah, minimum MVP. viable product. Totally, because you know how much it costs to invest in product. And a lot of companies get stuck because then they have all their inventory holding up all their cash flow. They can't actually invest in marketing or initiatives like that. So then they don't grow as fast. So starting small, starting slow and using that process, I think was probably the best advice I ever received. That's some, that's some sound advice and Chad can go suck it. I'm glad you didn't take his advice. So 2020 has been a shit show. Am I right? Am I right? Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were just actually just before we started recording, we were talking about the elections of the U.S. elections and how you had a nightmare um, thinking, you know, it would be a tie in lo and behold, we woke up and it's still a shit show. Um, so what have you learned from the trials and tribulations of 2020? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's been a roller coaster. We've hit some really low lows and then we've hit some very high highs. Isn't that crazy? Almost, 
it's crazy yeah we went down triple digits yeah triple digits versus last year and then yeah. beginning of the pandemic and then all of a sudden we're up because we started making non-medical masks up 300 mm -hmm. and that comes with its own um, mental blocks around do i deserve to be doing this am i like it makes it feels bad like i'm like i don't feel why? good why well i think I felt guilty a little bit that we were actually making money because I'm seeing all these small businesses like go under. And so I was like, wow, like, I can't believe we're doing this well now. Like this is, it seems not fair. Um, do you not consider yourself a small business? We, I do for sure. But I, I think I have this like, oh, I just, I want everybody to succeed. And I think yeah. I just felt like, very helpless in that situation so we tried to do our best to like give back to communities and donate masks and right. and we eventually started the encircled impact fund um out of all of this which was not in our plans for 2020 at all right. um, but something that i really wanted to do because i always want to help lift people up um so it was like that roller coaster where you're oh no and we're down we're up oh no we're yeah. down we almost ran yeah. out of inventory no yeah. we're up again oh no yeah. so it was just it was a lot a lot, but my most important lesson from this year is that you can do hard things. You can get through anything. <laughs> like you can, as, you can get through a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> you can get through anything. Right. Like, entrepreneurship is hard as it is, but this is like hard times a thousand. <laughs> and if you can do this, you can do anything. So it Absolutely. actually really opened my perspective to what's possible um, in the world and made me think that you know what anything is possible so anything. that's like a weird output from such a horrible situation but well it is what it is right um wow so christy tell me what is the next big thing for you and encircled so we got lots going on so one of our specialties is comfortable stylish sustainable versatile apparel um oh are you wearing the pants i'm trying to yeah i think i am wearing the pants <laughs> <laughs> dressy sweatpants. Awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah so my, my leopard's print shirt. I love that top. Yeah. <laughs> I love mixing patterns and basics. It's such a good pairing. Um, yeah. So we've been really well positioned for the pandemic and the work from home situation because literally all we do is make clothing that looks stylish, but it's actually really comfortable, like the dressy sweatpants, or we have a comfy blouse, which is made out of French cherry. So, like, we just, that's our jam. So we've really doubled down on that, I think, and started to look at how we can innovate in that space. So we've actually got a few products coming. We've got like a comfy puff sleeve dress, which is made out of French terry for Ooh. the holidays. So it's like stretchy, soft, but it looks elegant. And it covers um, our fupa. It's going to hold does. It yes, it's that one. in the fupa. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're just launching more and more products, you know, that, that really speak to our customer. We're really deeply connected with our customer. We do a lot of surveys. We ask questions all the time. We have an encircled community group on Facebook where people can buy, sell, and trade encircled as well as we talk to our customers in there all the time to get product ideas because we create with intention. We don't want to just mass produce products that nobody needs or wants. We have a very specific, you know, segment which we're in um, for clothing. So we like to kind of play where we can do the best. So um, we're coming out with just more comfy, stylish products. That's really just our, our zone of genius. That's dope. I like that Facebook group that where where people can um, trade clothing because that's that that that's smart. That's very smart. Good for you. Good for you. So, if someone had to use three words to describe you, 
what would they be? I think, I definitely think people would call me hardworking. Um, I work, I work really hard. I have, I have, I ran in circles for two years part-time um, as a side hustle working hundred hours a week at a flying job everywhere. Um, and I still work quite a bit, but um, I would say innovative. I don't like to accept the status quo and I like to try and um, change it and always come up with new and better ways of doing things and making products and running businesses. Um, hmm. And I would hopefully say thoughtful because I consider myself to be a thoughtful person. I care deeply about my friends and my family and the business and our, our team members. And I try to do things that um, hold myself to a high degree of integrity that people wouldn't even really necessarily know about. Um, and I don't even talk about them, but I just do them because I feel like they're the right thing to do. Well, I, you know what? It's actually quite evident if that makes you feel any better. Like you, you do come off as a very thoughtful person um, and very kind because like you said, you didn't, you could have just taken your mask money and ran to, you know, Bermuda or somewhere, but you chose to reinvest into other women and to empower other women and especially women of color. Um, to do, you know, to help them with their social impact businesses. And, uh, you know, thank you for that, because not many people take the time to think of others. Um, and so, so thank you. Thank you for that. What's the, what's the one thing you'd like to leave with, with our, with our listeners? Like, what's the one thing that you want people to remember Christy Sumer and Encircled by? I think the biggest thing I want people to take away is that um, if you're passionate about something and you really want to make a difference in the world, anything is possible. Um, don't let don't let yourself be held back by the fact that you don't have training in a specific area or you don't know the ins and outs of the supply chain of whatever you want to do. If you have a mission and a vision for what you want to accomplish, you can do it. You just have to have that persistence, that passion, um, and really go for it. Um, anything is possible. Um, and small actions make big differences. That's something we talk about all the time at Encircled, even just those small like sharing of posts of things or, you know, creating an impact fund is a bigger example, but you can make changes in your everyday life that will positively impact the world. Um, so try and be a good person. There's lots of opportunity and lots of need out there for better things happening in the world. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. That's a good one. So one last question, Christy, what makes you bad for business? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, we, we basically do the opposite of what fast fashion is. I mean, Ooh. our brand is completely the opposite of what the fashion industry norm is. The fashion industry is overconsumption, trendy, poor quality materials, sweatshop labor, um, optimizing cost as much as possible. Um, and we are like, how can we be the most sustainable, the most ethical, the most agile, um, the most intentional with our design? And how can we do it in a way that serves our community, um, our relationships with our factories, our partners, everything locally? Um, and that is pretty much a rare find. I think it's something like 98% of the clothing worn in Canada was made overseas. So it's a very small segment of the market. 
Whereas like in the 1990s, it was something like 70% of the apparel worn in Canada was made in Canada. So it's a completely flip of the industry and we're definitely doing it a different way, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It means there's a lot of opportunity to grow. And we're definitely seeing that lately that there's a huge interest and revival of interest in ethically made clothing and sustainable clothing, given what's going on in the world. No, that, yeah, that does make you bad for business. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Christy. Thanks for having me, Vivian. It was a really great chat. You are absolutely welcome, Christy. (laughs) (laughs) This has been another episode of your favorite unconventional and unfiltered business podcast, Bad for Business. I'll see you again next week where I'll be finding out the real stories behind the success of another Bad for Business entrepreneur. Be sure to connect with the Founders Fund community at foundersfund.ca.